I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Kia ora, welcome to the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. A really busy week of rugby ahead as we try to line up what exactly is going to happen in the quarterfinals in Super Rugby. You know, who's going to get a home playoff? Who's going to sneak into the eight? Can the Drua get in there? You know, there's plenty to go, even though the Chiefs have wrapped up that top spot to figure out this weekend. Obviously, the top eight system is working pretty damn nicely. So we'll get into a little bit of that. We've also got a couple of guests for you. Later on in the show, Grant Nisbet, the voice of rugby, joins us. Over 300 test matches to his name, so look forward to chatting with him about what's going on in the competition and also basically how it works in the commentary box. But before that, we've also got a special guest coming out of the Hurricanes, Cam Roygaard, the halfback on the rise. Joining me, as ever, James Parsons. Fizzing. Oh, yeah, look, I pulled a few strings, you know, being president of the fan club. You know, <laughs> I, I lent on the, the big fella, <laughs> and uh, he's agreed to come on, which is awesome. <laughs> Cam, the, the fan club. Uh, is, is it stalker territory? Is it fan club? <laughs> Uh, nah, I suppose it's all positive stuff, so um, I'll let it, let it slide for now. But nah, it's great to be on here. You don't have to call the cops just yet. Uh, nah, not quite. Not quite. As long as it stays positive, we're all good. <laughs> Excellent. How are you feeling? You played 80 minutes on the weekend. That's a, a big shift for a halfback these days. Yeah, uh, first game playing 80 uh, at this level. So um, I suppose, and I ended up around the wing there, so it was a bit, um, bit different. But yeah, no, it was good to be out there for the full 80. That's your spot, isn't it? <laughs> Spent a bit of time there. <laughs> I am interested, though. Like, There's been a lot of chat around the, the laws, speeding up line-outs, scrums. Um, you know, statistically, everything's measured. Um, you know, sort of how much, how much distance you cover, but then how much high-speed distance you cover. Are you seeing a, a growth in that? It's trying to speed up the scrums and um, all that sort of stuff. The um, ball and plays... Uh, increased as well so with that the distance and the high intensity um, or high speed running has um, also which has been um, I suppose pretty significant for us like halfbacks or um, well I suppose everyone just getting around the field um, but you get I suppose found out a little bit more if you're not as fit as um, you probably need to be so um, yeah definitely early early doors when you didn't have didn't quite have that um, rugby fitness which you only get playing um, it was definitely hard on those first couple of rounds to adjust to yeah so are you pounding the pavement more in order to do those extra Ks during the game if you had to adjust your training? We always try to simulate um, as close to um, as close to a game as possible. So when we are training, we're trying to train at a high intensity with um, minimal breaks, whether it's um, setting, I, know, I suppose, game-like scenarios of scrums or line-outs quickly. Um, so it's get give the lungs a little tickle up to prime us for the games. So, yeah, definitely. From my perception, when the going gets tough and, and people start tiring, that's almost when you inject yourself in these games. Is that, I mean, your fitness base, I know they do the Broncos test, but are you naturally someone that just can keep that threshold, you know, sort of redlining the whole time? I suppose I've always naturally been fit, like you say, but um, I do definitely feel when there are, um, I suppose, some heavier or slower moving bodies, um, particularly just after half time. Um, and there seems to be a bit more space around those rucks where I can tend to have a little snipe. 
For those who don't know, the Bronco is a fitness test, an aerobic fitness test, right? Yeah, it's like, horrible. It's horrible one. Well, probably horrible for me, I don't know. Cam probably does it backwards faster than me. Are you one of those sickos who loves a Bronco? <laughs> I don't think anyone loves a fitness test, but um, I'd still prefer it over a yo-yo, which, um, oh yeah, yeah, that one sucks. <laughs> yeah, that, what's that? That's the beep test that starts higher up the level? Is that what the yo-yo yeah, is? Yeah, but then you've also, you walk this five metres to try and build up lactic acid, and it's, it's just a little bit. It's a yeah. beep test evolution. How are the guys feeling after that game on the weekend? It was, you know, I suppose a tough game with the playoffs not far away. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose it was it was pretty tough um, to take because we definitely, I suppose, put ourselves an opportunity to win that game. Um, and we feel like we probably didn't nail some key moments um, after doing some good things. We didn't quite nail um, moments after that, which... Um, I suppose was probably the difference um, in them winning and us not. Um, so the, I suppose the positive is that it's on us. We can, uh, we know that we can win those games, but um, going into the quarterfinal well, in a couple of weeks, um, well, there's even the Crusaders this week, which is going to be big. Uh, we know that we've got to be better to um, beat these, I suppose, these teams heading into the finals, yeah. This is from last week, but based on your, again, your attacking sets on the weekend, you probably remain, you know, first in defenders beaten per game, first in clean breaks per game, um, first in turnovers won at the, you know, the breakdown and, and loose balls um, in the game, first in conversion rate for tries once you enter the 22. So attacking-wise, you're, you're the best in the comp. Uh, what, what are the key areas, I suppose, you guys are seeing, not... Um, what are the you know it could be backed up by stats it may not but what are the key areas of the game that you guys are looking to nail not only this week but building into that playoff picture we're trying to put a big um, focus on just our individual um, accountability and skill sets really because um, like you say we can get ourselves in good spots um, on the field and then there's just one little moment of a either an individual error or letting another team get over the ball and turn it over which is I suppose shooting ourselves in the foot so we've definitely got the um the talent and the game plan to um, score points and win games, but at the moment, I suppose, yeah, we're just not quite, um, I suppose, pulling together a complete performance, um, which I suppose is needed at this level, this length in the competition to um, win these games, so, yeah. Looking at how you sort of stood up at MPC was probably a lot of you taking the game by the scruff of the neck, whereas in Super Rugby, you know, and sometimes I don't feel like your type five gets enough pats on the back, but for the most part of this season, man, you've you've had a platform to work off and, and some of those guys are just working over You look at Blackwell on the weekend, I think it was 18 tackles, you know, Lomax is um, going from strength to strength, Xavier, uh, Suffer, you know, like there, there's some real quality um, players in there that, that are surely making your life easier? Yeah, 100%. Um, and both on both sides of the ball as well. Like, um, I suppose like an NPC. I'd make at least you know 10, 15 tackles a game. Whereas this um, at this level, I'm pretty fortunate. I'm only making you know three or four, which I suppose um, is a credit to the work, like you say, that the type forwards and well, people in front of me are doing. Um, they're making tackles, keeping um, stopping those boys from getting through the um, D line, and then on the other side of the ball, strong carries giving us a platform, great set piece, um, dominating scrums. So yeah, it's definitely. Um, yeah, it's definitely different, but um, it's good because I can, just, I suppose, tap into my role um, but more, just try out, try now my stuff. If your halfback's making more than three or four tackles, you're not doing your job. Mm. So, because I've got such a massive role in being the eyes 
for the guys around the ruck if you need to get around far side, so forth. So if they're having to make a tackle, that's gone. Mm. Then you're probably relying on a fullback who's 20 or 30 metres away to communicate that. Um, so it is, although I know he'll absolutely love making tackles, I don't think any team wants their halfback making that many tackles. Yeah, yeah it's a tough go. Well, it just loses such a key driver for your mm. defence. Um, and as we know, defence does win championships. You've had a chance, I suppose, to have TJ Perinata and his experience in behind you. What has that been like for you, having him there, being able to lean on him? I presume that you grew up admiring him? Well, when I was growing up, I suppose, he was, um, well, he, yeah, he was all black nine. He was um, playing awesome awesome footy. And I sort of, um, as I was growing up, had a left foot. So it was easy to um, compare myself to him. And I started, I suppose, growing a bit taller. So I knew I wasn't going to be like an Aaron Smith um, in terms of like stature and stuff. So it was easy to um, look up to him and sort of try and mold my game off him a little bit. Um, so then now being an opportunity for him to, um, to play alongside him like I did last year. And then this year, him obviously with his Achilles being out, but him still being a mentor. Um, with all his experience, being able to um, have conversations with me where I can grow on a um, personal and like um, on the field has been yeah pretty huge for my um, development as a player and uh, I suppose trying to develop um, into a leader as well. So yeah, it's been pretty big. Are there any particular lessons that you've really taken on board that he's provided you? Rugby smarts um, and where I suppose as nines we should be leading in what areas um, and taking charge on the field um, and then just developing connections with the um, players inside and outside of me um, and what that would look like because um, obviously he's played with lots of different um, tens and nines uh, and eights, sorry, um, all levels. So, yeah, he's definitely got um, heaps of experience around that area, which he passed on to me, which I'm grateful for. Yeah. Do you have, I suppose, any system in place or are you learning from TJ or others with more experience? Like, there's a lot of hype around you at the moment like it's it's and that's an enjoyable time but you know how you sort of control you don't go on those sort of peaks and then you know like all players are going to dip in form and go into the troughs mentally is is there a process around controlling that now while I suppose you're sitting on that height so that it, when that form does dip you have the ability to still stay sort of above the line try to keep, keep the game as simple as it is um or simple as possible sorry so then I can um play with confidence and just play what what's in front of me um, which I was, yeah I suppose has been a bit of a challenge um, this year which I'm a bit I suppose new to but uh, I've, there's definitely um, people in place that I've been talking to um, and there's likes of Colsey there trying to keep me humble which is uh, I suppose always good so yeah no, that's what those guys bring and that sharpness for, for young guys about you know just making sure they don't go on those peaks and trot. It's actually because he love he's got a lot of love and care mm. you know Colsey although it might sound like he's trying to you know you know, potentially bring people down. It's not that at all. It's just making sure that the young people can manage that pressure because it is a new space. There's there's always that one guy in a team that, you know, is sort of like the unsung hero and pretty much plays a 9 out of 10 every week. And for me, I get the sense that's Billy Proctor. I don't know, he seems to turn games on its head in those effort areas. He turns up time and time again where others won't. Is Am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, 100%. He's got a huge engine, and um, I suppose he probably probably got a bit, bit of recognition last week, which he definitely deserves because he was um, he was awesome like, on those loose balls, defensively, um, offensively, um, sort of running the cutter, helping um, Aiden and Jordy and um, stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely an unsung hero, but yeah, he's, um, 
he's a great player. The other standout part of your team right now is that loose forward trio, whether it's Artie and Duplessis and Braden Yose or whether it's Devin Flanders. Like, the ball that you, you get, whether it's turnover ball or just quick ball, you're blessed. Without even, like, probably them even trying, like, the ruck speed and stuff, um, it's easier for us because we're always getting dominant carries um, with the likes of them um, running hard and dominating whatever area they're in. Um, and then like, I suppose not just them, but the, our set pieces strong, our scrum's real strong, which is great for, um, I suppose, game management, game driving, because, you know, whenever, if we feel like we're on top of them, we can scrum for a penalty or whatever, work our way out the field, um, stuff like that. But um, I suppose defensively as well, like I sort of touched on before, I'm not having to make too many tackles at halfback because um, they're stepping up in that area um, across the board as well. And that's, I think, just a credit to our defense. So it's, I suppose I have a bit more energy. And, um, yeah, I suppose I can not dominate, but I can try um, influence our attack a bit more because, yeah, I've got lots of saved up energy from those boys working hard. All those individual players um, together make a really solid team. And over the years, you guys have sort of been a bogey team for the Crusaders. Uh, you seem to have had a lot of success when other teams haven't, um, away from home and at home. Yeah, 100%. And I suppose um, where we are in the competition, we know that we've got our like, quarterfinal locked in. So we sort of, um, I suppose, can throw everything at them. Um, we don't know where we'll be sitting next week, whether we're fourth or fifth. But I suppose we're in a spot where we've sort of got nothing to lose in terms of um, trying to nail our attack in D so that we're firing all cylinders for the um, for the finals. Um, but yeah, I think underdog's a good thing I suppose it takes the pressure off a little bit from um, expectation and stuff but um, we definitely um, I suppose respect them as I hope they'd respect us in terms of um, being a great great rival team to play against and yeah definitely think that we um, can have a crack at them Gonna go there go um, Aspirations being all black are clear where do you feel um, you need to lift to sort of get to that level? I suppose not get comfortable um, just playing, I suppose, good or all right, just trying to always be hungry to get better every day. So, yeah, that's my main focus at the moment. Obviously, um, we have our focuses with the Canes and all that sort of stuff, but individually just, yeah, trying to, I suppose, um, not just keep trying to get better. Yeah, that's the main thing. And have the selectors maybe given you specific points on specific areas and, and what might that be? Always having um, conversations with Hurricanes coaches and stuff and they're always giving me... Um, I suppose, stuff that I can um, control to try developing, um, whether that's my game driving, um, getting to good locations to kick, or whether it's my tackling or um, pass consistency, et cetera. But, um, yeah, there's always something that I can try um, fine-tune and um, dig a bit deeper into, um, I suppose, make that a strength of mine, yeah. And the All Blacks coaches, they haven't given you a call and had a similar conversation? Had a conversation, but um, I suppose it's um, mainly just around I suppose trying to be consistent um, and yeah, just trying to nail my role individually and not trying to get, I suppose, too carried away. Like with the All Blacks 15, yep. you know, that's selected by the All Black coaches. So yes. there is a wider group. Yeah. You know, like, um, you know, the perception could be if the All Black ca coaches are talking to Cam, you know, not saying he's not right in the mix, but there is a wide group now with that All Blacks mm. 15 that they have touch points with. And I think that's good because, you know, I think that depth of, you know, player is crucial, but also they've got two teams to pick now. So they need to be playing the same style so that they're ready to go and need to be across the same thing. So um, 
it's it's an exciting time with that All Blacks 15, I reckon, for a lot of these players because it gives you a genuine idea where you sit. That was my first taste of international footy. Never played schoolboys or um, 20s or anything like that. So um, from an individual um, point, it was pretty, yeah, it was pretty cool. Pretty cool milestone for myself. Yeah. Where, where did you play? Was it Tottenham that that game was? What was the... Yeah, there yeah, was... Uh, nah, we played Ireland and Dublin. Uh, but, oh, Ireland A, that was what I played. But then um, the other game, yeah, was in Tottenham. Um, but I didn't play that one. That was against Lovats. Are you into your football? Because you guys got to go to a game as well, didn't you? You always win. No, nah, uh, to be fair, I don't really follow it that much. But uh, <laughs> if the opportunity was there, I would have I would have been there, though. But um, I think it was just only a select few, so missed the cut on that. But no, nah, it was all good. It was a pretty cool experience um, being in Europe. Never been there before. So um, aside from the rugby stuff, it was pretty cool to have a look around. And um, yeah, it was pretty cool. But your great love is motorsport. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, I suppose. Um, yeah, it was probably my my first love before rugby, I suppose. It was, um, yeah, it's definitely sort of grew into that speedway. Uh, yeah, family sport sort of grew into that with my old man racing. So, yeah. Yeah, I think you've been a bit humble there. You're pretty good at it, weren't you? Uh, oh, I was, yeah, I was right. Um, <laughs> race, oh, like, I don't want to get into too many, too many details, but uh, mini stocks, which like the kids' version, 12 or 16, uh, and then race Sloan's. I managed to get um, two NZ, which was like second in like the national champs uh, when I was eighteen, I think. Yeah, so it was pretty cool. Yeah. Did it Did it come to the point where you had to make a decision, or you just fell in love with rugby and that's where you went? Yeah. Well, I obviously had my um, aspirations to um, go further in my rugby, and once I managed to get my like first um, opportunity down the Hurricanes as an injury cover, I sort of obviously um, thought that I wouldn't I wouldn't um, keep racing because if I got injured or something, it would sort of, I'd probably get kicked out and never be called back in. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was a pretty, it was a pretty easy decision at the time. What kind of cars are we talking about here? We're talking about on a dirt track, a saloon car. This isn't this isn't kind of touring cars. Nah, so yeah, it's um dirt um dirt oval racing uh, and the saloons are um three fifty five V8 Chev. Um, but um, yeah, it's I suppose it's uh non contact, but um, obviously still the risk of getting injured and stuff. Um, if you have, I suppose, watched the turbos play rugby, the track on the outside, that's the speedway in Palmy um, in the summer. So that's that's the sort of stuff we race around. But, yeah, pretty cool sport. For motorsport, the discipline and, and how meticulous you have to be just to not get knocked out must be huge. Yeah, uh, it's probably more, in, more so on the shed, I reckon, like with um, daddy's... He's very hard working and like, I suppose, yeah. Um, Cause oh, I didn't touch on it, but it's not, you can't really make a um, full time gig of it unless you do um, crack on to, I don't know, race V8 supercars or something along the lines of that. But um, yeah, so you're fixing it all yourself. You're on a budget. So you're, tr- you're trying to fix it all, do it all yourself. So you definitely, um, I suppose the habits that you pick up um, or I picked up um, from, from my dad was definitely about uh, working hard, work hard for what you get for uh, what you get. And so, do you spend your weekends with your head under a bonnet? <laughs> yeah, uh, my brother still races, uh, so I when I when I can, when I get an opportunity, I definitely I always go to um, watch him. Uh, but that's more up north um, in the Waikato. But um, yeah, I suppose it's always good to go back and um, help him out, and um, I suppose get a smell of the petrol and whatnot. But yeah, now it's still. 
Are you driving a Ford Ranger like most other rugby players on the planet or do you drive something something different? No, I don't have a Ford Ranger, but I'm actually well, in the process of trying to get a new car, so I'm unsure what that is at the moment, but yeah. Definitely a humble one at the moment. Fair enough. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Car companies, there's an opportunity there. Yes. Sponsor the man. <laughs> Hit him early. Jump on in, and then the next time you come on, just have the, the shirt on. You know, <laughs> chippers. He looks <laughs> after his people pretty well. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Cam, for joining us. Uh, we appreciate your time, especially considering how big a game you got this weekend and in the weeks following. Now, sweet. Thanks, guys. Uh, yeah, appreciate the invite on. So, no, it's been good. Great to catch up, mate. Go well this weekend. So from when the young buck, you know, obviously he didn't win against the Blues on the weekend, scored eight tries this season, you know, seventh on the list. He's on his way up. He's a great, great young player. At the other end of the spectrum, John R4, who he's going to play this weekend, comes out of nowhere, ends up playing for the Crusaders. Yeah, of all places. <laughs> yeah. A bit like when DC came to the Blues, I think. Yeah. Um, but, oh, look. He's a man that just loves the code and he's going to go till the wheels fall off, in his words. Um, but, you know, it's, it's sort of amazing when you can get guys of that experience back into a group, um, you know, with so many injuries and experienced players. Mm. And he held his own. Like, you know, like, admittedly around the park, it was a lot quicker for him from where he'd come sort of French, French Div 2. But, you know, set-piece-wise, that's all they really needed him to do, set-piece and clean your rucks. Um, you know, he, he, was, he was pretty solid for 50 minutes, and I think he only arrived, like, Thursday. Mm. You know, so there's a lot to take in in terms of systems, calls. Uh, only someone of his experience could pull that off because it could be disastrous for someone else. <laughs> you know, like, career defining almost, you know, if you wanted the opportunity so desperately but didn't have the runs on the clock like him. Um, so he was perfectly placed, and that's one thing, like, Razor does so well, or maybe the Crusaders do so well. They always pick these, I suppose, you know, Mike Delaney was one year, you know, um, I can't think of any more off the top of my head, but they always get that older player that has such an influence on the squad and, and can step up and play. It's funny to think about who lasts and who doesn't to that age, you know, because you would imagine it wouldn't be the tight forwards, but so often it is. Yeah, well, I think it's just because speed, like, John Offa, when he first started, like he was sort of like a Sapphire Moore, you know, like he was an athlete um, yeah. and could do his business. But as that sort of that speed diminishes, they get a little bit more um, licensed to lose that, but then they're, they're smart enough to sort of pick up in other areas, and that's why I think they can stand the test of time because there is no game without solid set-piece, Ross. <laughs> uh, experience counts for a lot in, that, in those dark places. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> And from one veteran to another, veteran of broadcasting, the legend himself, Grant Nisbet, has done over 300 tests. He's the voice of New Zealand rugby. And you might not necessarily know his face. You absolutely know his voice, no matter where you watch rugby in the world. Nisbo, thank you very much for joining us. Hey, boys. Nice to be with you. Um, you got to see John R4 come on the field there on the weekend. Were you a little surprised? Suddenly there's this 40-year-old bloke running out there. We got about a two-hour uh, notice that he was uh, going to be in the squad. Then he was going to start. But uh, what a great story it is, isn't it? So now the oldest ever Super Rugby player. The second oldest, so I heard a lot of people saying Brad Thorne. The second oldest actually was Ben May uh, and then Brad Thorne. But um, great story. And he's going to be with the Crusaders for the remainder of the season. 
I tell you what, uh, the Blues alumni chat was going off. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, firing on all cylinders when, when they saw him run out in, in red and black. But all in, all in good fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, and the story was quite amazing too, wasn't it? The story oh. of the boots had to give Dan Carter a call. And surely, <laughs> surely, with the dough he's been on, he can buy his own boots. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think it was pretty short notice, wasn't it? Um, I. I don't know the full story, but I, I believe, he, you know, this time last week he hadn't even landed in the country. Uh, and then to get the call, um, ju just a great story. Just a great story. It's up there with the Brian Lahore story, you know, sitting writing the letter to his wife and saying, we're back and going to play a test match, those kind of things to his boat. Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? Uh, I, think he, I think he left that note on a Friday in those days. Um, I'm not sure there was a lot of training went on. It might have been a Thursday. I'm not sure. Uh, he probably said to her, and, and don't forget to put the rubbish out. <laughs> I get that most weeks. The same message, but not, not quite as important on a week-by-week -week basis. Um, speaking of you know, having a couple of hours' notice, obviously when you prepare for your commentaries, you, you spend a week on it, don't you? You've got a lot to get through, a lot of numbers, a lot of bodies. So to have something thrown like that in the mix quite late, you know, do you often get that? And, and you know, does, it, does it affect your prep? We seem to get a lot of a lot more changes in teams at the last minute these days. I'm not sure what the reasons are. Maybe teams are not releasing the fact that some blokes got injured on Thursday, and they don't want to tell the opposition or something. And sometimes we don't find out until you know half an hour before kickoff, and that's when Mr. Google comes into uh, into vogue, um, as he did with uh, John Arfo the other day. I had to I had to Google. I had my rugby almanac with me forcibly so I could look at the number test matches and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, often thrown into sort of last-minute preparation because I normally start for a, you know, a, a super game and certainly a test match and normally start a couple of days early once the teams are released. But, um, you know, sometimes these things crop up and you only get about an hour to, uh, to, to prep it. But, you know, we get by. If you're looking at individual player... What is it you go through and what are the key sort of points you look for that you feel um, is, I suppose, worthwhile for the audience to hear? It depends on the position they play, I suppose. Um, you know, if, if it's a winger, for instance, who scores a lot of tries, um, I, I like to know how many tries he's scored and how many, you know, how many games he's uh, played. Um, if it's a loose forward, I'm, I'm keen to know sort of turnovers and tackles and it kind of depends on the on the individual player and the position they are in, um, but I do like to uh, be well prepared. I I once had a chat with uh, the great Bill McLaren and said to him, you know, what sort of preparation do you do before a game? And he said, a lot more than I need to. He said, but it's always nice to have it there. He said, he, I probably would use five percent of what I write down. But it's always nice to have there as a backstop. And in the act of actually writing things down, you do remember stuff without even looking down at your notes. You do remember stuff that suddenly springs to mind. So um, you know, there's a lot of different things. And, and you've got to also, quite often if a game is held up for a lengthy period of time, there might be quite a severe injury, you've got to kind of fill in the gaps. Uh, so um, it's better to have more than less. You would have seen a lot of, um, I suppose, evolutions in the game of rugby. How, how have you kept, I suppose, present and, and across all of that over the years? Yeah, the game has changed a lot, um, James. It certainly has. Um, I mean, uh, forwards actually used to, or locks used to actually jump in the line out at one point. Um, <laughs> now, of course, they get, they get lifted. 
and that's happened since uh, what 1996. So it's um, it's been around a fair while. But you know the continued um, uh, changes of laws around the tackle ball and all that sort of thing, and and bringing things right up to date. You know things like goal line and dropouts and fifty twenty two. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash people today. So all this sort of thing were never thought of uh, back in the day. So, um, look, the game is evolving. Um, you sometimes wish there weren't as many laws as there are because even for uh, referees, I think it's just a confusing, confusing game at times. So you imagine what it's like for commentators. And you've got to work in as well with your second voice and the third voice on the sideline. So it's not just the game in front of you. You're thinking about what's going on around you. How, how do you interact with the, the person who's the expert comments next to you? What is the rule of thumb about when you talk and when they talk? Yeah, it's an interesting one because, you know, you've got to act as a team and you've got to know your role. Now, my role is, is to be the describer, if you like, and to kind of anchor the broadcast, if you like. The guy normally sitting beside me is, a, is, a, is an ex-All Black or a very prominent rugby player. And I've been very lucky over the years to have guys like uh, Murray Mexted, Brad Fox, um, uh, John Drake and, uh, and Justin Marshall, all of whom, of whom of course, played for the All Blacks. So my role, of course, is to lead them into, into comments uh, because they're the guys that have been there, done that, if you like. And the role of the third guy on the sideline is, is quite a difficult one because often you don't have uh, eye contact with them, so you've got to have a kind of a, a feel for when they want to say something. I, I don't like throwing to them all the time because that can, can get a little bit uh, hard to listen to. So I, um, I, you, you do uh, devise uh, little triggers, I guess. And Ian Smith, of course, was uh, the classic case. He was there for so long. Smithy kind of had the feeling that it was time for him to jump in. And I, what I do like to do, though, is that as the lead quarter is leave a lot of gaps so that the opportunity is there for the guy beside me or the guy down on the sideline, guy or gal on the sideline, to, um, to get in and say there a little bit. So you've done a bit of this number two. What's it like? How does it, how does it work? Is it hard to jump in and, and figure that out? Oh, I think I've done mainly the experts and I think it's a little bit easier there because you can have that eye contact and the body language and you know sort of when you can jump in but I, I must admit when I've done sideline it is a little bit um, confusing at times when, when to jump in and like Nizzo said you don't want to just keep throwing to people um, so you do have to sort of find that balance but um, I would say it's when you're in the box that ability to re read each other um, mm. is relatively easy. And, and coming from being a player and hearing the commentators and then being a player in the commentary booth, was that a difficult thing as far as, you know, considering what it is that people want to hear in comparison to what it is you're thinking? Well, of course, I had perceptions of what I wanted to hear when I was playing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so, I mean, that's what piqued my interest. Like, I'm a codehead, um, and it's like when you've got a good commentary team, it gets you out of your seat. You know, it adds to the spectacle. It is, it is really um, critical to the product. 
Um, and I just love talking code, so that's sort of um, why, why I sort of look to have an opportunity in it. And I've had one game, fortunately, with Nisbo in Wellington, and uh, you just learn so much each time you do it. The more you do it, you can you can learn a hell of a lot. And I think that's the biggest thing that I've learned through you know three or four years that I've been doing it is there's so much information you prep for that you actually never say, but you never know that day where there is gonna be a long extended window. Man, if you've got to fill that, you need you need stuff. You can't just be rambling on. You need a few one-liners. Yeah, no, one-liners <laughs> are just for the try. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and I suppose for you, Nisbo, the other part is, you, you know, you've got the game, you've got the people you're talking to, but then you've also got the people in your ear. In any given time, of course, you're, you're hooked into what they call the van, where the director sits and the producer sits. And uh, so you have to be able to listen to that. And alternatively, while they're uh, talking to you from time to time, they're also talking, obviously, to the cameraman. So there's there's all sorts of babble going on. Then, of course, you've got to be able to listen to the guy beside you, the guy on the sideline, the referee, uh, the TMO when it's time to listen to him. So... You know, there could be anything up to, I don't know, a dozen different voices going. But um, you, you do develop this ability over, uh, I'd have to say, a fairly long period of time to be able to just blank those out unless you really need to hear what they're saying. And uh, normally they'll address you and so that you know that it's uh, you that they're talking to. So it is a bit of a skill um, and it doesn't come easily and it particularly doesn't come easy to non-trained broadcasters I, I imagine if you talk to James he, he'd be he'd be one of those who would have quite happily just wound everything down uh, and only heard the commentator but um, you know it comes with time and and uh, there's no quick fix while all that's going on you've also got 30 blokes and a ref in front of you on the field obviously you can't see the numbers always you can't see the faces always what do you judge who has the ball on a lot of the time when, you know, it isn't necessarily clear to everyone? Yeah, look, I, I'd, I'd love to go back to the good old days of counties when I used to do rugby commentaries at Pukekohe way, way back in the 70s when the great Bruce Robertson and one or two other players were involved. Counties always had numbers on the front as well as the back of their jerseys. <laughs> so if they're coming towards you, you could still identify who the hell they were. Um, those days, unfortunately, are long gone. Um, look, a lot of the teams we do these days, I mean, you do the All Blacks, you do all the Super Rugby teams, you've seen these guys so often that it wouldn't matter whether you could see the number or not. You just know what they are, who they are, uh, and that's not difficult. It's when you do games where you get teams that you have never seen before, that makes it pretty damn difficult. And... Um, so I, look, I like to watch them warming up, um, and often that is, doesn't give you a great lead because obviously they don't, still don't wear their numbers when they're warming up, but they might have um, a lot more bandaging. You know, if I'm looking at two locks, one might have a lot more bandaging than the other, um, although, of course, you can, that can get thrown into disarray when they go back to the dressing room and then put some bandages on. But um, colour boots... Uh, sleeves rolled up or not, uh, all sorts of different things. Uh, wearing a headband or not, uh, wearing a headgear or not, um, all sorts of different things. Hair colour, you know, you, you grasp onto anything. And I write it on my notes. I quite often write uh, green boots, orange boots, um, you know, whatever. So some of the, some of the hardest commentaries I've ever done uh, was World Cups where you you might be doing games other than the All Blacks are involved, you know, so you might have a game between, 
I don't know, say, let's say Italy and uh, Namibia. Um, and you've, you've never seen these guys before. And if you have, you might have seen maybe Italy play a few games in the, in the Six Nations. Namibia, I'm not sure where you'd see them play. But so there you are, you're confronted with this. I, I, in an ideal world, you get to training maybe and have a look at them there. Um, but quite hard to get to training these days. International teams are very guarded about who's watching them train. So, um, yeah, I'll come back to the old story, you do your best. <laughs> are the tricks of the trade? You know, if, if you didn't recognise the bloke, what's the thing that's coming out of your mouth if you, you know, you're like, oh, who is this guy again? You, how do you work around it? Yeah, I mean, sometimes uh, you can be guilty of omission, um, but there are little sort of phrases, you know, nice pass or whatever. Um, if you're really not sure who's made the pass or who's accepted the pass, and by the time you've said that, it's probably moved on to the next bloke and you do recognise him. So um, I probably, if you went back and looked at commentary, you'd probably say, well, you don't identify every single player that gets the ball. Mm. And there are two reasons for that. One, if it goes to the halfback, I mean, he, he gets the ball 100 times in a game. You don't really want to hear his name 100 times. The other one, of course, is that I haven't got a flaming clue who's got the ball. <laughs> we just had uh, Cam Roygaard on the show. Obviously, you you live down in Wellington. You're you're fond of the Canes. Yeah, he's played really well this year. I mean, he he, he uh, probably wouldn't have been as prominent had TJ Perenara been fit this year, but he's really taken his opportunities. I like the way he plays, and I think he's a good contrast to the halfbacks we have at the moment. You know, we've got guys who are, are smaller, nuggety. And I'm thinking along the lines of um, obviously Aaron Smith and uh, and Brad Weber and Philly Christie. They are all guys of similar stature. What I like about Roy Gard is that he's a bit bigger, and he's a bit more like a Pedernara, if you like, who played seventy odd Test matches, and he can act almost as a fourth loose forward. He's got that physical presence as well, so that's why I'm, I'm uh, I like the guy. I think he uh, I think he's a really good player. Yeah, Aaron's one. Mm. And I think, you know, obviously Brad and, and Finn are, are going for that second spot. And then it's really a decision, do we want a point of difference against certain opposition? Do we want that more abrasive player? OK, we're going to take that third halfback as someone that's more abrasive. Or do we actually want the person coming off the bench keeping our tempo and being exactly the same? So the coaches will know that the best. Mm. Um, but I think you can't, even when you've got your three, you need to keep you know, that fourth and fifth player will cut you engaged because they could be caught upon at any stage. Do you think, Nisbo, that the Hurricanes and Camerigard are in a position where they can go and beat the Crusaders this weekend and, and possibly jump into that top four? They can be a bit inconsistent, the Hurricanes, but isn't that the story of the, since 1996? They're a bit hard to predict. Uh, they let themselves down badly at Eden Park on uh, last Saturday night. They... Um, you know, they're just in front in certain areas, and uh, but, they, but they have that ability for sure. I suppose the question about this weekend for the Crusaders is who's fit and who's available to play? They've been contenders, each of these big derbies, but you, you get the sense they really want to take, take a scalp before going into the finals. And uh, I think it's a, it's a prime opportunity because the expectation... You know, even last week, if you look at them statistically and the way they were travelling, you know, great performance in the wet, against the Chiefs, and then, you know, everyone was sort of picking them to beat the Blues, but the Blues have just sort of found their mojo the last couple of weeks in attack. Um, so I, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a big opportunity for them, and 
their their desire to win this comp. I still think it's still open on their day. Like a number of these teams have the ability to go and win this comp. Do you think the Hurricanes have got what it takes, considering what they did against the Blues, to knock over the Chiefs, the Crusaders, away from home? Even the Brumbies, which they'll probably end up playing by the looks of it in the quarters. Well, if you look at their phase play, their statistics, they're right up the pointy end of it. Mm. Where they're starting to struggle is set-piece, and you just can't get your game going. So if they can if they can shore up their line-out and scrum, um, they are, they are well-positioned in the key statistic metrics. And I know stats only tell half the story, but, um, and a number of their players are in form. So they're definitely still in the com- conversation. But that line-out was ropey, though, wasn't it? And it was the second week. Like, so the wet, obviously, um, I think, Devery went down early. Harmy Five had to play a lot of minutes. He was, he's sort of been coming in and out of the squad against the Chiefs. He did, he did a solid job, but it was hard conditions. And again, um, knowing Eden Park, those were challenging conditions. And I thought Riccatelli and Eklund did a great job. Um, you know, we're an area that the Blues um, have wanted to shore up as their set piece. So just shows how important those jerseys and one to five are, Rob. <laughs> the, the running joke in his bow is that it's one up front um, <laughs> <laughs> most weeks. Those bow would agree. I'll tell you what I have enjoyed this year is that teams are putting blokes up in the lineouts. Um, I, I don't know, um, you can probably fill us in more on this, uh, James, but I. I hate it when teams don't dispute possession of the lineouts, and uh, I know the argument five metres out, if you put a bloke up, then he's not available to defend and all the rest of it. But uh, the Crusaders just about always challenge the ball in the lineout. The Blues certainly challenge them the lineout. I've long been an advocate of, you know, rugby is a game where you dispute possession at all times with the exception of rolling balls, and it won't start me on that. But <laughs> line-outs, line-outs, you get a great chance to dispute possession. Why not put blokes up? And um, I've enjoyed that about certainly the New Zealand teams this year. I think there's been far more of that. And they're getting rewarded for it too. Every team I was always involved in, like, it was said you have to get up. And this is probably, you know, why... It probably shows an insight to how stressful coaching is, is when players just don't do it. Mm. Um, because it is such a key position to disrupt. But even if you don't disrupt, just getting in the hooker's eye line is really off-putting. Um, even if you get half a lift, they, that may put them off enough that their throw's underthrown and you can tap one back. Or um, So to answer your question, they're definitely, uh, well, I suppose, players in the teams I've been in, we've trained to put people up. Um, it's just sometimes we've overcomplicated it ourselves and... Don't get up. You don't get up because it was it was too hard to understand where the ball was going. No, nah, so they're quite tricky systems. Like there's normally a hinge that's a lifter that he could be a front lifter at the back or he could be a, a back lifter, and that's normally where the confusion lies. Or if there's two jumpers together in short lineouts, both wanting to get up um, rather than sort of being in sync. So um, I think teams, as you see, is normally a single lift at the front. You know, they're not looking for that backlifter anymore, and then they're really roaming with that pod. And you'll see teams sort of move late, and then they go back forward. The Crusaders are great at it. Um, and that just, because normally the line-out caller at the back is looking for space. So he'll call a move that's into space. They'll give a picture of space, and then they move so that space isn't there, mm. just to rattle you a little bit. And if all else fails, throw a bloke up at the front. Always. like That's why it's a single lift at the front now. I think Victor Vito sort of changed that. He was so explosive and he was such a good asset. Stephen Luatua was another one. He could just jump himself mm. and just, you know, a strong prop 
sort of put him over his shoulders. So those sorts of athletes are key to have at the front because it frees you up for less confusion at the back. The further to your point, Nisbo, Re, the line-out driver, it sounds like you're in the Wayne Smith of uh, line-out drive <laughs> critiquing. Um, I think one thing we've seen really has gone really well this year has been the fact that at the top of the table you see Talia, Stevenson, Fyang Anuku, there are no hookers at the top of the tri-scoring table this year. And that's a, that's a marked change yeah. in the last two or three years. Fine yeah. Um He might have been the top try scorer last year uh, at, at Hooker, and that says probably more about the Brumbies than anything else. But, yeah, look, I, I've always hated the rolling wall because it, it, it defeats so many of the, uh, of the things you're taught as a five-year-old. First one is you're always taught to tackle the ball carrier. Well, you can't. And the ball carrier has three or four guys in front of him who are fundamentally offside. And there's absolutely no way, if it's done properly, that you can stop it. I've been advocating it for years. That, and we did try it one year, and as an experimental law, we did try it in provincial rugby where you could sack the ball. And the reason apparently that we didn't continue with it was that there was a chance of injury. Well, I, I'm not so sure about that. I really not. So um, I guess while the laws are made in the Northern Hemisphere because it suits the way they play, uh, then we haven't got much of a say, unfortunately. As we're seeing, because there's a fixation on now stopping the malls, there's a great opportunity to have those mm. plays around the back of a line-out, which are entertaining. And, you know, I suppose if you use Bryce Heem on the weekend, it looks pretty simple. That was a one-on-one -on -one tackle, but, you know, Poor Cam, he's got a lot to think about there. There's there's threats here and there's threats there and, and connecting with inside and out. And that scene becomes really vulnerable. I think um, the Reds, uh, Vunivalu went through Makaleo and, and Renton there just because they didn't get set quick enough. So those are sort of areas where um, you're getting opportunities to make inroads. So it sort of works in roundabouts. Mm. Unfortunately, the driving more, no doubt, hookers will be top tricycle. Never through my era, which is quite disappointing, <laughs> but uh, anyway. Yeah, back in your day, they scored on the wing. Oh, God, back in my day, Bryn Hall just stole the ball before we even got started. <laughs> just took it out of the back yeah. and, and fed it to Bryn Galland, and there was nothing else. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Didn't trust us. <laughs> Fair enough. That, when you say that seam, you're talking about maybe the, the second channel out, are you? Is yeah, that... well, we call it channel one. Yeah. Uh, you want to attack channel one, so back of the line out, first defender. Yeah. That's back the 10 metres. That's channel one. You're going down that sort of seam because normally there's a, there's a defender right at the back and mm. they're disconnected. It's quite hard to connect. You almost have to go backwards to go forward at the back of the line out and it's, it's a skill. We've got to commend the refs as well. Like the new law of pushing those lineouts through does mean you can take tempos because you're, you don't have that ability. You, you would have seen a huddle as soon as there was a 22 mm. previous years. You see that big huddle and that takes a minute. You're only going to drive it when you're doing that. Yeah. And you don't have that time to do that anymore. So lineout callers are having to go on the fly and quick ball's good ball. Quick ball, you don't, you can go at that seam and you can get away. It's just when things slow down that the more becomes, because you're kicking from a penalty, defence is set, do you know what I mean? So that's yeah. how the mindset goes, okay, well, we're mauling this, let's suck them in and then let's have a crack. So that pressure at line-out time for hookers and line-out callers has meant there is less drive, especially, you know, at the, I suppose, that 15 metres out Yeah. Um, that isn't from a penalty. And that tempo is when you're just basically walking into walking the line and, go, and going up. Before they even set, like, the Reds yeah. were great at it. That try from Vunivalu, that was from a penalty and uh, no, it wasn't, it was from kicked out on the full and they just pressed so hard up there, went up early and that's where, it wasn't that Makaleo and, and co um, you know, aren't good tacklers, they just went ready.
because of the speed of the play. Yeah. And Vunivalu. As a freak. He's yeah. so smooth. It's like he's not even trying this boat. It's just too easy when that guy gets going. I'm interested as well. I mean, it's hard to compare eras, I understand all that, in players, but are there, are there some memorable players for you? Oh, yeah, lots, lots. I mean, I, I've been lucky enough to see some of the great All Blacks. Um, I'm often, if, I'm, if I must name my greatest ever All Black who I saw, it's always Christian Cullen. Um, he was an absolute freak, an absolute freak. But then, you know, I don't like to play down the, the, the you know, the Carters and the McCaws. And it goes on and on and on. Um, but, uh, you know, naming an All Black, my favourite All Black, 15, I'd be really struggling to leave blokes out. I mean, how do you compare Michael Jones with Richie McCaw? You probably have to pay Michael Jones on the blind side because you can't leave either of them out, really. Um, so, yeah, I've been really lucky to have seen some of the really great All Blacks. Who was your number one? At six? No, no, overall. If, was, if Cully is uh, oh, my favourite. As, as an All Black, yeah. um, like I got presented my jersey by Richie, my first yeah. jersey, so I've, I'm fairly fond of him and yeah. the way I held him in yeah. high regard and, and for the era I came through. Yeah. To give you an example, like I stuffed up a line-out on debut and... Um, uh, you know, and, and he was the jumper and he came up to me at the next scrum and he was like, mate, I was a bit slow across the ground. Mm. And so all of a sudden, you know, my debut, I'm like, beauty, that's not my fault. <laughs> Skip's got me. You know, packed down for the scrum. And it, and after the game, he goes, oh, mate, I, I know what it's like when you've been that fit. Like, this is the level of leadership and thought he had. Mm. He was like, I wanted to take the pressure off you, but it was overthrown. So let's just have a look at that during the week and rectify Wow. I just thought that's amazing. In a pressure situation test match, he has the ability to know that I needed that pressure relieved to get the best out of me for the rest of the game. Yeah. Um, it's just things like that you've got to admire. You know, he is quite a selfless player. Yeah, little touches like that. Yeah. That's quite incredible. That's quite incredible. Well, before we let you go, Nisbo, um, we've got a few predictions to make for the week ahead. Uh, starting off with the Blues versus the Highlanders. This is the game where if the Highlanders can knock off the Blues, they can secure themselves a spot in the top eight. Do you think, Nisbo, that that I is a chance? No. Yeah. I can't see it. Not at Eden Park. Um, look, I really admire the Highlanders this year. They've, they've been fighting against the odds. Uh, you talk about Crusaders' injuries. The Highlanders have been equally as affected. And they don't have the depth, as we know, in their squad to cope, as well as the Crusaders. So I really admire them. But I think it might be a bridge too far. Especially the way the Blues are finding form. I think the Blues at home, again, will be, will be too strong. Now, the Rebels are also pushing for that spot. They're away against the Brumbies. Any chance? Some weeks you look at them and you're like, geez, they're really good. And then they let themselves down. They were really good last week, the Rebels. Uh, the Brumbies, you know, they had 60% ball, 60% territory. They had to make less tackles, so they should have theoretically had more energy, and they tackled at 80%. Mm -hmm. That's not Brumby's numbers. Brumby's yeah. numbers are 90 plus. So there's something just not quite right with, with them at the moment. So they're a little bit vulnerable, perhaps, to a Rebels team, which is okay. Uh, you know, it's not it's not a world-beating team, but I, I think they're a runner's chance, put it that way. But I'd, I'd, be, looking, I'd be looking at the Brumbies in Canberra for sure. Now, the Drua versus the Reds, Nisbo, that is a big game because you've got to get the feeling that if the Drua win that game, they're the team with the chance of popping into the eight. Two New Zealand teams have shot up there this year and both come away with their tails between their legs, the Crusaders and the Hurricanes. 
So that's how difficult it is to win. And uh, having said that, of course, Moana Pacifica very nearly toppled them last week. Um, look, I don't know what's happened to the Reds this year. On paper, they look, they look pretty damn good. And uh, and there were long periods of time in that game against the Highlanders last Friday night when I thought um, they're not a bad side, the Reds, but um, they lost it in the last few minutes. But I think the draw will be well and truly fired up for this one. And uh, I think they'll probably win. I if the Drua play like last week, though, I think they probably focused on just trying to get the bonus point. Do you know what I mean? Like, if they play like that, they'll get ridden off the field. Like, they only kicked seven times, played too much footy, which gave opportunity. So they need to get that territory-based game going if they, if they want to win at home. Now, we've covered the Hurricanes and the Crusaders to some degree, but quickly, Chipper, from you? <sighs> I don't know. I have to see the teams. I genuinely can't pick that one. <laughs> I need to wait for the teams. <laughs> I don't want to pe put people wrong, you know, and then I, all of a sudden I go seven from seven again. Yeah? Yeah. Six from six, whatever it is. <laughs> okay, well, while Jeff sits on the fence, Nisbo, what are you thinking? I'll put my neck out and say the Hurricanes will play out of their skin and, and, uh, and win this, largely based on the fact that the Crusaders pretty much cemented in second place, aren't they? And the fact that they've got so many injuries to key players. And I think the Hurricanes need some sort of performance heading into the playoffs. They're going to play in the playoffs, probably away from home. So I think they really need to put it on the line this week. And um, so I'm going to say, and they've done it in the past, and they, they've actually been a bit of a bogey team for the Crusaders over the years. So I'm going to say that the Hurricanes can do it again. Uh, Waratahs versus Moana Pacifica. I think Moana, unfortunately, are going to go through without a win, even though they probably should have got one last week. Yeah, I mean, look, I've been pumping Moana up in terms of their attack steps all season, but it's the defence, and I think the Tars will be too good at home. Yeah, lastly, the Force versus the Chiefs. This is an interesting game again because of what's on the line. Nothing on the line for the Chiefs, plenty on the line for the Force. Nisbo, is this a Force side that can topple the Chiefs at home? I can't see why the Chiefs, now that they've secured top position and can't be challenged there, why they would want to send their very best team in a game that they don't have to win. Um, so, look, anything could happen here because the Force play well in Perth. There's no question about that. They've got some good results over there this season. And if the Chiefs send a, a less than strong team over, then I, I give the Force a real chance. I think the Force are a chance, but I think that Reds game where they gave players opportunity will still be hurting. So I'm picking the Chiefs to win because there's bench spots to play for, they're a real title chance and you want to be in that 23 uh, and they, they'll want to rectify a few perceptions that the coaches will have after that Reds game. Mm. So based off those predictions, I'm thinking that you guys are both seeing the Drua making their way into the top eight and probably the Reds in eighth place behind them, with them in seventh? Um, yeah, look, I've been trying to find a way to get the Islanders up, but I'm struggling. Um, I think the Highlanders actually have to win, don't they? I mean, and, and then that sort of casts any any doubt that might linger. Um, but I just don't know whether they can win. Well, this is why the top eight is in place, because this is a great conversation that oh, wouldn't yeah. be happening if we only had a top four or a top six. 
it just wouldn't be happening at all. Well, yeah, so, especially if it was a top six, there'd be nothing to talk about. Yeah, plenty more teams in play in the last weekend. So thank you very much, Nisbo, for joining us um, on the Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Enjoyed it, boys. All the best. And thank you very much for joining us on Aotearoa Rugby Pod. Please catch us again next week. You can catch us on Sky. You can catch us on YouTube. You can catch us as an audio pod. Please get in touch. Aotearoa Rugby Pod at sky.co.nz. Or leave a comment in the YouTube uh, comments section and talk to us and we'll try to answer any questions that you might have. So thank you very much. Matewa. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.